watched one episode where they were marking the pub. I was like, pub on a weekday? What's that about? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One Team Gov Show, a podcast featuring conversations with awesome people doing interesting stuff in the public sector. We appreciate you taking the time to join us and we've got an amazing interview we know you're going to love. My name is Kylie. And I'm Kamala and today we are talking with Pran Patel, physics teacher and assistant principal. Welcome Pran. Hiya, how are you guys? Really good, thank you. Pran, we really liked your Twitter handle, which is at Mr. Patel's Awesome. Where did that idea come from? I started Twitter to connect with my pupils if they needed homework help. And I'm always the showman in the classroom. So I was like, oh, what should my Twitter handle be? Kids were like, you, you can't call a Twitter handle Mr. Patel's Awesome. I was like, I definitely can. What made you decide to become a teacher? I became a teacher because fundamentally I wanted to change the world around me. I wanted to give back to the community that raised me. And the older I got, the more I felt as though I could give back to the global community through positive vibe. One of my core tenets is, if you do good, that'll be passed on. And if I do good and pass on that to my pupils and that propagates through society, ultimately that's got to be the aim of every person. That's brilliant. So you're a physics teacher and you did a physics degree. That's quite a prestigious degree. Did you have to make a bit of a hard sell to your friends and family about not pursuing physics outside of teaching? could call it a hard sell. The silent treatment was what I received from my family. Growing up in a BAME household, education was everything. I was always, always expected to go to university. In our household, a lot of that's measured in money, not as much in status. I remember telling my father, I want to be a teacher. And I remember him responding with something along the lines of, why have you worked so hard if you just wanted to be a teacher? And we had a little bit of a discussion at the time. It was a tough few months. Quite interesting because I trained and taught in schools which are in the locality of where I grew up. And going to local greengrocers or butchers or the supermarkets with my father on a Sunday morning was great fun with the kids. Sir, 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 Mr Patel, Mr Patel, Mr Patel. Within a few months, I remember my dad turning around to me and saying, what you do can't be measured in money or status. It has to be measured in good deeds. That's how I really sold it. We've all got those teachers that we remember that really made a difference. So you started teaching about 12 years ago, and that was really before the big advent of lots of social media, Twitter, Facebook. Have you seen the teaching profession change a lot through those new technologies? Since the advent of social media and those new technologies, I think pedagogy has gone forward leaps and bounds. And the reason for that is it's allowed educators to collaborate globally. It can only be a good thing. A really, really good example of that is the influence you can have worldwide from sitting there and communicating via a device. I remember sitting in a conference earlier this year, typing away a blog on my phone. And by the time the conference was over, that blog was read by over 500 educators in 15 countries worldwide. That sort of influence, that sort of collaboration, that sort of reach can only be a good thing to educators worldwide. Definitely. One of the things that we really liked when we were researching you was how open you are. And I think the fact that you use Twitter to engage with the wider teaching community as opposed to your students really demonstrates that. You did a great BBC feature about how long hours in teaching has affected your mental health. 
Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what prompted you to make that? I've long been an advocate for mental health. If you've seen the documentary, in the documentary I actually say that I've suffered from depression, sleeplessness and anxiety. I had to do that take three or four times because I didn't want that to reflect my employability. But ultimately, I had to be real because people need role models. If they don't have role models, society doesn't move forward. Someone has to take the hit sooner or later. So it might as well be me. With the profession as a whole, I fundamentally believe it's the best job in the world, hands down. You change lives day to day and you get paid for it. There's nothing better than that. However, there are certain aspects and workload is a big one that detract from the best profession in the world. It's funny you say that because one of my best friends went into teaching for a couple of years and he left in the end because he just couldn't take the workload and the long hours. But that's exactly what he said. And he still says that. He says teaching was the best job I ever had. It's just that I wish we could just all do it part time. And I'm just wondering, in your experience, what do you think could be done to make conditions better for teachers? In my experience, there are lots of things that school leaders have already done or are doing to make life easier. The reliance on lesson plans almost doesn't exist anymore. Ridiculous marking schedules, pointless meetings. Those things are well on the way of dissipating. It's not that teachers don't want to work hard. The problem comes when you're doing things which don't impact on the pupils you serve. That's the biggest issue with teachers, I'd say. This is going to be contentious, but within the UK, the biggest problem to workload is funding. Schools up and down the country are going through a funding crisis. There was a head teacher's process brought from Parliament Square to Downing Street. A thousand head teachers left their schools for the pupils they serve to protest about funding. If schools aren't funded properly, workload has to go up. I've heard of schools where teachers' working load has gone up. They're teaching cross-disciplines to make departments run. There's no other way around that other than to fund schools properly. Absolutely. I don't think that would be very contentious among our audience. The other thing that you've spoken really openly about is racism that you've experienced within the profession. Why do you think it is that we don't see very many BAME folks hitting the senior positions in teaching? I'm going to talk frankly. BAME teachers in the UK make up around 8%. Yet, they make up less than 3% of head teachers. Now, ultimately, that's either because BAME teachers do not have a special quality which is afforded to our white counterparts, or institutionally or systemically, there's an issue. I'd also talk openly about unconscious bias. In 2018, I think we're at a stage where everyone understands that inherently everybody has an unconscious bias, including myself. Once you realise you have an unconscious bias, it's your duty to recognise it and act upon it. Institutionalised racism and bias is just notoriously hard to overcome in any profession. Have you seen any schools trying to counteract or challenge that in a successful way? There are plenty of simple things that schools can do. Some are very good and big advocates. Blind recruitment is a really easy one. Take the names off, take the gender off, take the universities off, take the age off, and just look at somebody simply on merit. There's lots of different things that innovative schools are bringing in, bringing in a governor in interview panels, which is quite an old practice, bringing in pupil panels. It gives another eye to an employment. 
Absolutely. I love that idea of having different people interviewing for various positions. I think the more diversity you have in panels, the more different perspectives you get. So it's really good to hear that that's happening. And yeah, talent management. You're obviously one of the rare BAME folks who have hit that leadership position. What do you think good leadership looks like in teaching? Diversity isn't a tick box. Diversity is an absolutely huge thing for the pupils we serve. We already know that diverse teams are happier and more productive. We know that from the literature. Everything as a teacher and as an educator should go back to the pupil we serve. If we don't show BAME pupils that they can be anything they want to be and show them people in power can look like them, they won't believe it. No matter what narrative we try and sell them, they won't believe it. They will go through how many years of education and higher education, I know they have exactly the same problems, feeling inferior. And even more dangerous, their white counterparts will be instilled with this idea of entitlement, privilege and, dare I say, supremacy. Yeah, the idea about having people who are teaching you mirror the demographic of where you come from is super, super important. What do you think makes a good leader in your profession? For me, leadership is all about vision, articulating vision and building a culture towards that. That's the only thing that leaders should do is keep an organisation on path towards that vision. But to do that, you have to have followers. A great educator called Viv Grant. And this has stayed with me since a session I did with her a few years ago. Is you can pay people whatever you want and they will work for you and they'll work hard. However, true leadership comes from when people want to make change. That's what leadership is. Teaching as one of those frontline professions, a bit like nursing or emergency services, that often gets caught in the crossfire of government politics. You talked about the funding crisis before and the march to parliament. What other ways have you experienced that tension during your time in teaching? There's been a recent article where the DfE warns teachers not to become political. I don't really understand where that's coming from because politics comes from a Greek word which translates to citizens or of the people. Now for me, teaching by its very nature is an act of politics. It's an act of rebellion. Everything we do in the classroom empowers the young people to go on and make change. Everything we do is politics. Politics, since Blair's education, 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 has always been a batting game that parties push in and out. With the funding crisis and the recruitment retention crisis, and I'm using the word crisis, problem is school leaders and teachers are being honest, saying we cannot afford the speech and language therapists that were previously paid for out of another pot. We can't afford that in our school budget. So there are schools now without those services for the kids. There are schools I know of, secondary schools, who don't have music departments anymore. They don't have DT departments anymore. That's design technology because they're expensive to run. Now, it can all come across as being political and being anti-government, but that's not politics. That's just facts of where we are. It's interesting you mentioned the education, education, education. Certainly, since I've been at school, it's had quite a lot of attention. Lots of people from outside of the profession have loads of opinions on schools and try to influence how they might be working, from LeBron James to Bill Gates opening schools. Are there any groups or types of people that you find their influence to be harmful or really helpful? I mean, everyone goes to a school, so everyone has an opinion on how schools should be run. You have to be careful with that because teachers have to have a degree and a postgraduate qualification at the minimum to serve the pupils. 
you wouldn't question a doctor's authority on the same basis that a normal person would question the authority of a teacher. I find that a little bit disrespectful to the profession as a whole. General perception of the public in the UK especially is teachers go home at half three and that's it, we're done for the day. And then we have all of this time off. That's so far from the truth. It's ridiculous. You see lots of different depictions of teaching in the media. And sometimes it's like you just described where they get all their long summer holidays and it's a really easy ride. And sometimes being much more like craftsmen and having a real specialism. How would you describe the profession to someone who was interested in getting involved? I had this discussion today, actually. Teaching is more of a science than an art. The pedagogy behind it is really, really intricate. It's something that you have to practice your craft and learn those different techniques. It's definitely not something anyone could go in and pick up. Totally get that. And you've mentioned it being a bit like a science. One of the things we talk about here is how people use technology in their professions. And we see a lot about using data to measure outcomes. That has more of a negative connotation in teaching in terms of doing lots of tests and assessing children's progress. How do you think that intensity of measurement impacts the students that you work with? Fundamentally, I think data is not a bad thing. It's the way it's used. And this all harks back from the whole invention of league tables. The problem happens when schools are pitted against each other. And when schools are pitted against each other, what happens is they're in direct competition. And then any collegiate approach dissipates. Seriously, think that through. I didn't sign up to teach children in my classroom and not care about anybody else. I signed up to be an educator, to serve a community, to serve pupils. Just because the blazon on their blazer isn't the same as the emblem on the school that I'm working at doesn't mean I shouldn't serve them as an educator. Because of the pressure of the league tables and the way the other measures are currently being used, it stopped the outward-facing nature of our profession, which I think is fundamentally a bad thing. Data, on the whole, if used correctly, it can only be a good thing. The problem is, again, all of these things add to workload. If you're asking teachers to examine more and to feedback more, that takes more and more time. Teachers won't let the pupils they serve down. So what happens is all of that extra work comes at a personal cost. And normally it's a physical and mental cost that comes up. And I imagine there's nothing more soul-destroying than doing something for something's sake as opposed to doing something where you see that there's a good and legitimate outcome. Now on to some slightly lighter questions. As you said earlier, everyone has a view on how teaching should be done because everyone at some point has been to school. And it feels like every year there's a new book or documentary about how teaching should work, what will make your children successful at school. Have you got any funny teaching fads that you could share with us? Going through a few. Mind or brain gym, they used to call it, where pupils had to be up and active. Absolutely no literature in that at all. This VAK, which is visual, auditory, kinesthetic, again, no literature to back up the learning styles. There are so many different fads that are almost cyclical in their nature. I'm just imagining that every time a new one comes out, the eye roll emoji gets sent round the teaching WhatsApp community. As Kylie was saying before, it feels like teaching is a favoured subject of TV and film studios. There are loads of films and TV series made about teaching. What show or film has your favourite fictional depiction of teaching and why? Here's me being contentious again. Teachers in film, I find, are depicted as white saviours. 
dangerous mind freedom writers where you have white middle class people going into inner city schools to save them from themselves. I went to a spoken word event in inner London a few weeks ago and one of the lines was, thank you Robin Williams, you really showed me the difference between dead poets and dead poets. If you don't know the colloquialism, dead equates to boring. can't even think of a teaching film that I actually enjoy. There's always the classic TV show Teachers. It's ridiculous, though. I watched one episode where they were marking the pub. I was like, pub on a weekday? What's that about? (laughs) Do you have any funny stories that you've thought of? In a previous school, I was line managing science. And a science teacher was demonstrating with the alkali metals. Alkali metals, that's sodium, potassium, lithium. They're very malleable. What the teacher was doing was hammering a big block of sodium just to show how he could flatten out really easily. What he didn't bank on was as he hammered it, caught the edge of it, it flew off the desk into a block sink, like blew a hole out of the sink. Somehow nobody was hurt, and the health and safety was really, really brought into play that day. The kids loved it. To this day, they'll know all about the sodium metals that they were talking about that day. I would have absolutely loved that in science class. You were always waiting for something to go wrong, and it was beyond hilarious. We always ask the people that we interview to help us expand our minds by recommending a couple of things for us. So could you recommend a Twitter account that we should follow? I'm going to say three. I know you said one, but let's be a rebel. At Women Ed is an amazing organisation. Gender equity and redressing the balance there, great organisation. So that's at Women Ed. The other one is at BAMED about black, Asian and minority ethnic educators and redressing the balance there. One of the new organisations is at LGBT Ed, redressing the balance when it comes to sexuality within the classroom. We've hit a bunch of diversity goals there, that's wicked. What about a book? Currently I'm reading a book called Race and Class in the Ruins of Empire by an author called Akala. It's a great book and I think everyone should read it. And what about a charity or social enterprise our listeners could support? I co-founded a small befriending service in the West Midlands called the Backcountry Befriending and Mentoring Service. And that's working with adults in Backcountry in the West Midlands to get back on their feet and support them through support groups on the day-to-day. At the moment, the website's in construction. You could support them, just send me a DM direct to my Twitter handle and I'll forward anything through that way. Well, you know, if you need a hand with websites, we are a team of people who work in tech, so we'd be very happy to. Pran, thank you so much for chatting with us. We covered some really great topics and some that even we weren't expecting. Really pleased to chat to you about diversity and about mental health. And it's great to see teachers speaking so openly about this kind of thing. And we hope that it's inspired some of our listeners with a bit of a vision of what teaching could be like and why teaching is so important. So thank you. Thank you. I feel as though sometimes I come across as a bit negative about teaching. Let me reiterate, teaching is genuinely the best job in the world. Change lives and get paid for it. Excellent tagline. Thanks so much, Pran. Wow, that was an incredibly special interview. What do you think about that? I've been trying to wrap my head around it ever since. There were just so many points where I couldn't believe how insightful his points were. His warmth and his generosity really came through right from the beginning. When he started off talking about why he got into teaching, it was about giving back to the community that raised him. 
and that real sense of people coming together and it being a very emotional experience for him. The story about his dad realising the impact that his son was having when he was getting talked to in the supermarket by his students was brilliant and just so heartwarming. What did you think? You know how in those slam poetry shows, how you're meant to snap, click your fingers when people are saying things that you agree with? I would just be snapping all the time. There were so many points where I really agreed with him. It was so good that he was so open and willing to share things that potentially other teachers wouldn't want to or be able to. We obviously thought it was going to be an interview that was focused around teaching. That's why we found Pran and that's why we were looking for someone from that front line of public service. Some of the other topics that came up through that ended up being even more interesting, especially around his campaigning on mental health and teachers' workload. We'd seen that had been covered on the BBC. There's plenty in the media already about the impact that that has on teachers. The way he was able to speak to that and frame it in the sense of the impact that it has on the children. For example, he was saying all of the extra marking and the outcome tracking that teachers are asked to do often feels like it doesn't directly contribute to the time that teachers spend with their students. What I really loved was how he was always able to tie back to his ability to do the best by his students. And that was great totally agree he said what's frustrating is when you're doing things that you know are going to have zero impact on the pupils that you're serving that's something that we hear time and time again as a topic in public service the idea that these policy initiatives that come out have to have an impact on people's lives and people really have to see it happening and what really struck me about that was Pran will get to see that real time he gets real time feedback loops about whether the policies that have been sent out are actually really affecting the pupils that he's serving it must be really difficult if you know that it's not really having an impact but you still have to do it anyway I can totally see how that would lead to a lot of frustration and potential burnout with our teaching community it made me think about how people talk about teachers in everyday life One of the best descriptions that he gave, which really resonated with me, was when he said that you wouldn't question a doctor in the way that people question teachers. I was thinking, actually, yeah, we wouldn't talk about and scrutinize practices of other professions in the way that we do with teaching. You can start to see how that would have an impact on the teachers themselves, constantly feeling that pressure of people watching them and having opinions about things. It just really made me think if I'm ever in a situation where I'm working with a teacher, I'll really have that in the back of my mind. The craft and the science of teaching that he spoke about is real and it's so valuable and we should absolutely reflect that in the way that we interact with teachers. Goes back to a point that has been made quite a few times on this podcast about how, especially in the technology community, we have a reputation for barreling in and disrupting and second guessing people's firsthand experience on the front line. It triggered this thought that when we are working with people on the front line, we do have to remember to be empathetic to really listen, to be aware that those people are the experts. The one part that has stuck with me the longest, though, is his brilliant answer to when we were asking about politics coming into the impact on teaching. He said, teaching is an act of politics because you're empowering young people to make change. I was completely blown away by that point. It made me think about all the other ways in which we bring politics and democracy into public service as a whole. You can see that's a common theme throughout lots of the interviews that we've done, especially around leadership. Leadership being about changing people's hearts and motivating them to make change. That really resonated. I'll always remember that one. I love when he talked about leadership and he talked about how it's about selling vision and capturing people's hearts. 
that was a great embodiment of what leadership can look like. And it's so good to see yet again, us moving away from some of the stereotypes of leadership about being aggressive and about being pushy. And instead, setting this different vision about what leadership can look like in all different parts of government. What did you make of his really in-depth and excellent points around diversity? It was so interesting talking to him about institutionalized racism and this incredible gap between the amount of BAME teachers and the amount of BAME leaders, especially in London, where it seems like there's just a tiny slither of leaders at the top who are BAME or people of color. What I loved when he talked about that was he said in 2018, everyone should know what unconscious bias is and how you should mitigate against that. He considered that old news. It's something that people should just know about. It made me think that the generation that Pran is teaching, Gen Z, are one of the most diverse generations ever. And actually, we have a lot of catching up to do to meet them where they are. Part of that is about having positions of leadership reflect people in those schools. It was just so great how he was so open about that. He often said, oh, might be a bit controversial here, but just went for it. That was a great conversation. Some of the reflections he had on the representation of teaching on screen in TV and film. Again, he really showed that balance between sincerity and making some really excellent points, but also lots of fun as well. When he was mentioning how teaching is often represented as white middle class saviors coming into inner city schools. And then immediately after that, he talked about how the TV show teachers showed teachers in a pub on a weekday. And he was like, that would never happen. He was a great person to chat to. What do you think about his points on data and teaching? When he described the use of league tables as being competitive, that had never occurred to me before that what league tables do, rather than measuring performance objectively, is that they create a mentality amongst the community of teaching that each school has to be better than the other. And actually, that fundamentally goes against the principles of teaching, which is about serving a community and helping other people. That was really fascinating. What about you? I loved how he said that league tables pitted schools against each other and basically dissipated any concept of them being collegiate. And it really reminded me of the whole one team gov message. Often in departments, we're pitted against each other for money, for shout outs in parliament, for the best services, for the best people. And One Team Gov really tries to erode that element of competition and instead try and bring people together to work across departments. Whenever we see these things, we just have to remember that it's a trap. And actually, we're all here to serve the public. And that should be at the forefront of all of our minds. Pran left us with what should probably be the One Team Gov motto, which is if you work in public service, you change lives and get paid for it. We should probably have that as a strap line and some stickers. Yeah, that's true. Best job ever. As an aside, I loved when we talked to him about teaching fads. And I was like, what have you been your favorite teaching fads? And he talked about the whole visual, kinetic, audio learning thing that came out. I was at school. And it's so funny because I was thinking, oh my God, is that a fad? I've been telling people I'm an audio learner for the last 10 years since I've got into podcasts. So <laughs> thanks, Fran, for correcting me on that. And that's it from the One Team Gov Show. If you enjoyed this episode, you can download, listen and subscribe through all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Blubbery, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Player FM, Overcast and Podbean. We're also available on Amazon Alexa. See you next time. See you next time.